Radio Health Journal talks about maternal mortality after this. Technology changed the way I listen to music. Technology changed the way I plan travel. Now, technology is changing the way people invest. Whether you're a multi-million dollar investor or just starting out, Betterment is the smart answer to the question, how should I manage my money? Powered by smarter technology and personalized for your financial goals, Betterment automatically manages your investments and minimizes taxes, all for a fraction of the cost of traditional financial services. You just set it and forget it. With over 95,000 customers and $2.3 billion under management, Betterment is the smarter, easier way to invest. Isn't it time you use smarter technology to build your wealth? Sign up today and receive up to six months free. Get full terms and conditions at Betterment.com slash podcast. Betterment, investing made better. Sign up for your free trial at Betterment.com slash podcast. If you had to guess which country in the world has the lowest maternal mortality rate, would you say the United States? Unfortunately, we're not even close, embarrassingly far down the list. According to the CIA World Factbook, the rate of women who die while pregnant, during childbirth, or within a year of childbirth in the U.S. is on a par with Thailand, Malaysia, South Korea, and Kazakhstan. Even Iran has a lower maternal mortality rate than the U.S. There's broad concern that we're looking at increasing trends in maternal mortality in the U.S. relative to other countries in Europe and, you know, where we really should see comparable health trends. That's Dr. Kate Menard, professor and chief of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine at Chapel Hill. There are a number of theories as to why this is, and though I don't think any of it is clearly understood One contributor that folks talk about is actually counting maternal deaths. In the U.S., over the past 20 or so years, we've implemented some different strategies to try to capture these events, including, for example, one thing is there's a checkbox now on the death certificate where one is asked to check that box if the woman that died is pregnant. That checkbox wasn't used uniformly 20 years ago, but now it's used in every state, so perhaps we're capturing more deaths through better identification of the events. But even since that checkbox was uniformly used, we've still seen an increase in the number of maternal deaths. Maternal mortality rate means the number of maternal deaths per 100,000 live births. And once upon a time, we didn't rate nearly so badly. According to the CDC, our maternal mortality rate in the late 1980s was about 7, roughly the rate of France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and Great Britain. Today, though, the CIA estimates that America's maternal mortality rate has skyrocketed to 28. The other contributors, we believe, are related to health conditions in general. In the U.S., more women are delaying childbearing, and it's well known that risk of maternal death is higher with increasing maternal age because of comorbidities that come into play during pregnancy in women who delay pregnancy, particularly after the age of 40, for example, where complications related to hypertension or cardiac conditions come into play more than they do for you know, a woman, for example, in her 20s. The obesity epidemic certainly is one of the contributing factors to adverse health in women who are pregnant. So there are a number of factors like that, just women entering pregnancy less healthy. Concurrent with the rise in maternal mortality is a rise in the number of cesarean deliveries in the United States. 
Today, one-third of all births in the U.S. are by C-section, up 10% from 14 years ago. And that includes a lot of C-sections for low-risk, healthy pregnancies. We do know that death in the peripartum period is more common in those undergoing cesarean than in those undergoing vaginal birth. That's going to be confounded by the fact that in many situations, the reason she had the cesarean may in fact be in part because of health conditions that led her there. But cesarean birth and delivery through surgical methods certainly puts a woman at a higher risk of death. So how do we reverse the trend? One suggestion? The recent research says that it is safer to have your baby with a midwife in a hospital than an OBGYN. Now, I'm not putting all docs down because my husband is an OBGYN, but if you want a normal, healthy delivery, your chances are better with a nurse midwife. That doesn't mean it's right for everyone. Some people feel more comfortable with a physician, but more and more people are looking at it as an alternative that might be better for them and their family. That's Patricia Harmon, a certified nurse midwife with Partners in Women's Healthcare in Morgantown, West Virginia. She's also author of the popular novel series The Midwife of Hope River. The research Harmon refers to was conducted by Britain's National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. One of the things that we do that is different than many OBGYN doctors is spend a little more time with patients teaching and talking to them about stress, about nutrition, about their activities, about their other children, about their fears. So those things can make a difference in the delivery. The optimal thing is a nurse midwife who works with the physicians because then you have the best of both worlds. And you will find that more and more in small towns and in big cities, the OBGYNs are now hiring a nurse midwife or two to work with them. They can take care of the low-risk patient, and then the physician tends to take care of the diabetics, the women with twins, people with high blood pressure, things like that. Harmon says interest in midwifery is growing. There is even a popular series on public television titled Call the Midwife, and Harmon's own novels are selling well. The practice of midwifery is also growing as more birthing centers open where women can choose a midwife's care. When I first started, it was very difficult to get hospital privileges, and now it's not. I mean, you have to find a backup physician. You have to find somebody who will work with you, and sometimes that isn't the easiest, depending on where you live. But once you've established yourself with a physician, you can get hospital privileges, and like I said, you can pretty much do everything an OBGYN can except C-sections and forceps deliveries. So those things have changed, and I think it's a PR thing also. I think a lot of people don't understand that modern midwifery is available and accessible to them. They're still thinking of the days, like in my books, uh, the Hope River books, where the midwife is out in the rural area coming to the home. So I think those things have really uh, opened up the opportunities for nurse midwives and for patients to choose that alternative if they want to. If we know that intended vaginal birth is safer and midwifery care really focuses on the success of you know, intended vaginal birth, it stands to reason that non-intervention style of practice would be safer for women. Now, that non-intervention style of practice is not specific to midwives, however. I am a big advocate of vaginal birth and non-intervention to kind of maximize the chance of vaginal birth in the interest of both the mother and the baby. On the other hand, if someone's seeing a midwife, 
for prenatal care. She's low risk by every screen early in her pregnancy. But then she develops, for example, gestational diabetes. Then when she comes back in for her labor and delivery, if the baby's normally grown and everything's going well and her blood sugars aren't in control, she can have a birth with midwives. Independently, she might have risked out of midwifery care if had we not had that collaborative relationship within our practice. Menard points out that 100 years ago, when midwifery was just about all that was available, maternal mortality rates were quite high. In 1900, for example, the CDC estimates the maternal mortality rate was approximately 850 deaths per 100,000 live births, more than 30 times what it is today. Coincident with the movement to bringing women into models of care that included hospital care when needed, we've seen a decline in maternal mortality. Now, there's plenty of things that are contributing to that, but I think the treatment of infection and treatment of sepsis is a very, very important factor, recognition and then early treatment of infection has contributed to that decline. Management of hemorrhage is a huge factor in the decline that we saw over the last 100 years in maternal mortality. Blood banking just wasn't available, you know, 100 years ago the way it is now. However, as we noted, the maternal mortality rate reversed itself a couple of decades ago. Back when the rate was around 7 in the late 1980s, the CDC announced a goal of getting the rate down to 3, but instead it started climbing rapidly in the opposite direction. But why? Researchers don't have answers, and Menard suggests they never will until we start keeping better records. Fortunately, with low-risk women, it's infrequent enough that severe morbidity or consequences of a complicated childbirth that was unanticipated may not come through in the data really strong because it's uncommon. But we, I think over time, need to become more deliberate about measuring that and logging that. And that's one of the things that we've written into these guidelines for levels of maternal care is the importance of gathering data that describes the reasons for transfer into hospital and the end result. So if we know where the care began and where initially the birth was intended, if we know that information, then we can track over time the movement and when the care needs to happen and movement to the hospital because of potential risk that's identified and gain a better understanding of whether that risk assessment and safety net is good enough. But where are these increased maternal deaths coming from? The increase experienced by the U.S. has been substantial. Are there more deaths in underserved rural areas or within metropolitan inner-city hospitals? It's collective. You can't take a county or a small city and analyze it at that level. You need to look at state trends. You need to look at large state trends. One very effective method to understand this better, and this is nicely in place in certain states, it's not widely in place at all states, is having a maternal mortality and morbidity review process. And that process includes identifying the event, so a death or severe morbidity, and then doing a multidisciplinary review of that event, looking at medical records, looking at coroner's reports, and looking for process things, not pointing fingers, not looking to point blame here or there, but looking for systems issues that could be improved in order to make maternity care safer. Menard says every state has an infant mortality review system, but those systems are voluntary and limited in scope. For example, voluntary review boards have no access to medical records because of legal confidentiality. And Menard says there's little legislative support to finance maternal mortality review systems in most states. Apparently, there's no money to figure out why young mothers are dying. You can find a link to the CIA's complete list of maternal mortality rates around the world and the CDC's tracking of how those rates have changed in the United States through links on our website, 
RadioHealthJournal.net. You'll also find archives of our programs there, as well as on Stitcher and iTunes. Our writer-producer this week is Polly Hansen. I'm Reed Pence.